1: plus.
0: At LuckyLandSlots.com,
1: available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited
2: by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: He pioneered Jets blogging and podcasting. He brought smiles to the faces of Jets fans all over the world. He was there through the good and bad. And then one day, he, he vanished. vanished. People far and wide wondered, where has he gone? When will he return? Thankfully, the answer is now. The OG of Jets podcasting and vlogging is back. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled
0: me back in. This is There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett. I'm back, the real me. Let's not make a whole thing of it.
3: And his co-hosts. Chef Travis Milton.
1: Today we're going to be making the students my tasty baked ziti with basil and fresh mozzarella.
3: And Josh Conrad.
1: Oh, my brother,
3: testify. On Turn on the Jets Digital.
2: Welcome back to There's Always Next Year. I'm your host, Brian Bassett, and you can follow me on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. And with me are my stout cohort of co-hosts, Josh Conrad, who you can find on Twitter at Josh underscore Conrad and Travis Milton, who is at Dash 37 board 27 Fellas, I need to know who's calling plays, the plays on this podcast.
4: I didn't take over. We did this. We've done the same thing the last four games. We
1: we were watching Dowell through the whole game. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, he was just standing there.
4: He, He tells me it's not hard. This is not hard. We go through it, the drive before. Hey, these are the three plays. I do the third downs. So what happens after the three plays when you have a series? Because we were watching one where Dow was talking to Frank Pollock. He wasn't calling the plays. you were. What part of the game was it? I want to say that was the third quarter. Yeah, when we got down, then I I was trying to do some of the two-minute stuff.
3: I'm super confident in Adam and, you know, the way he coaches um, us players got to be better. And me personally, um, I got to play better.
1: Is he calling more plays? He said he wasn't, but it looked like he was calling more plays today. How did it work that dynamic work for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I hear one voice. Um, you know, I hear Adam's voice calling the play into me. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let him kind of give you guys more. If, um, but yeah, I just heard one voice today.
2: Travis, I saw you talking to Scott Mason during the podcast, and I want to know who's calling plays, Travis.
3: It's not me, and I can't say that it's me, especially when we there's screw ups, things like that. I, I definitely, you know, that's, that's not on me. I'm not sure, Brian. Who, who is or, or Josh? Well,
2: Josh. Who who do you hear in Listen, your headset during the game? There's
4: only one voice in my head. Like I don't get <laughs> multiple voices. There's just the one voice, and I'll let you well, whose in voice the is media, it? I will let you and the media figure that out this week.
2: Wow. All right. All right. Intrigue here on the podcast. Is Scott Mason pulling the strings behind the scene or is he calling these plays and these topics? It's unknown. It's unknown. Guys, it's really not that hard. I'm just telling you, it's not that hard. When I'm putting together the show sheet, it's not me who's doing it. It's only me when I do it, when I add the first topic and then I add the second topic. And then if I add the third topic, it's still me but then it's not me until I add the fourth topic which I do add the fourth topic uh, I never let you guys pick anything so ultimately it's we we go through this every week and I tell you what the three plays are and so like you, you know you called third downs you
4: also call the two minute stuff so Yeah, who knows who's actually calling these plays?
2: I think none of us are. Maybe that's our problem with the podcast. I don't think anybody (laughs) is at the captain of the ship. I think this is just a rudderless ghost ship. Uh, Just like the Jets organization, it's a rudderless ghost ship on game day. and Maybe maybe that's a problem with our podcast. I I don't know. I don't know. But it's so funny to hear Adam Gase acting like a teenager caught in a lie to the press and just doubling down on (laughs) his version of the truth. And then you go ahead and they ask, they're calling him out. They're basically telling him he's lying and he's still st- essentially sticking with his story. And then they ask Sam Darnold who who shares, basically he can triangulate who's lying and who's not lying. And lo and behold, like he's not lying. Oh, and by the way, they had the video footage of them on the sidelines. So who does Adam Gase think he's getting away with these antics? Who, who does he think believes him? Does he believe himself? Because I don't know that anybody else should or would, but does he believe himself? That's my question, Josh. Brian, it's it's not a lie if you believe it.
4: <laughs> I guess that's, so. That's he's he is ascribing to the Costanza rule and lying, but believing it, and so not lying. And then with his crazy eyes staring at everybody else, what's I don't understand what the problem is. Listen, he's calling the blades, like he should just say yeah, you know what, I'm still calling the plays. And that's the difference between Adam Gase and seemingly every other head coach in this league is that he puts intrigue in places where it ought not to be to obviously to sidestep any responsibility for a terrible season. Listen, there's video evidence. Like It feels eerily like these last four years have mirrored themselves both politically and as an NFL Jet. 100%. <laughs> Like there's just lying and then there's video evidence presented and it's just getting mad because someone figured it out and caused some more intrigue um, and it's then bias the
3: uh, as, as often as needed. So that's where I think we are. Travis, what, what are your thoughts? I was going to hit on the political thing. I was going to say, when this is all said and done, Adam Gase has a strong, uh, future in politics, the way things have gone for the last four years. I, I, I think that he could do well with the, the base that has been uncovered. That's willing to believe things like Josh said that are, I believe what was the term that they came up uh, creative truths or something like that. I, I can't remember, mm. but yeah, it's, it, it's insanity. Like I, 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 I don't let know. me ask you this, Travis. I'm curious. Let's get real here for a second.
2: If you're in your kitchen, you've got a, a chef who's under you you're telling them what to do, whatever and you say to that person, "Hey, did you prep this dish?" or "Hey, did you, you know, cut these things up?" or "Did you get this stuff out of the the walk-in?" and they say, "Yeah, I did that." And that they're lying. Like, what do you do in that situation? I'm just curious in a work situation, how does that play out? Because it I'm just curious how that works. It's like either you did or you didn't do it, right? Yeah every situation is different. Every person's different, but like, just tell me the truth. That's what I'm in, trying.
3: In my kitchen, you are, you're pretty close to being immediately dismissed when something like that happens, because we've got this kind of policy that I very much harp on right when you're hired, just own it, like whatever it is, right. because myself as a chef and a manager, it's a big chunk of my job to fix these things I can fix any screw up you burn a steak I can go to the table and I can talk to them I can bring them out it's something to nibble on I can tell them and that's the thing like the end of the day a diner is not that different than a sports fan they just want to know what's going on and why things are screwed up and if you tell them they're okay with it as long as you fix it in the end but that's the biggest thing in my kitchen is that you burn a steak you don't put it on the plate and put the burn side down so that the customer can't right. see it until they cut into it. No, you, you go tell me or you go to the table and you say, hey, I apologize. I had it one time. I, I immediately just missed multiple multiple employees because they it was three people and they all tried to lie about the fact that they didn't turn on the oven and we were roasting a whole hog and
2: oh my um, gosh you just yeah, lost wow. hours and hours. no
3: i lost the entire <laughs> hog and I had, oh, play, yeah. I had to look at these guys and no one owned it everyone said oh no he was supposed to turn it on oh that guy was actually supposed to turn it on i didn't i didn't mess up so i said if no one's gonna own this i literally had this animal slaughtered so that we could serve it so essentially i killed this pig for him to go in the trash and you're all fired right. because of it because no one will own
2: this. And I think that's that. Thank you so much. Cause that's exactly what the kind of answer I was looking for. I don't care so much what the truth is. I'm a grown up enough that I can deal with whatever the truth is. Just don't try and get something by me or like you're doing something out of you're just driven out of fear rather than, I don't know, security or whatever, Josh. And that's kind of why I wanted to twist this from Travis to then you, Josh, as a clergyman, I have to imagine that you see this repeatedly in people's behaviors and trying to come to them and help them understand. And so I guess what I'm asking is without getting too deep down the theological hole here, but what is it that drives people to just Why, when there's no reason to lie or all evidence presents to the contrary, why do people stick to these things? Why do they do this? Yeah, it's
4: exactly what you hit on, which you're driven by an insecurity, either it's perfectionism. And so you can't stand the thought of making a mistake. And so if a mistake is made, you can't own up to it. And so like mentally, psychologically, like you can't just go, I made a mistake because it's like a house of cards is going to come crumbling down or There's also like a mixture of you just think less of other people. And so the people that you're reporting to, you're really communicating. I don't really respect or trust you. And so I'm just going to lie to you because it's a little bit easier for me. And I'm going to dare you to call me on it. And if you call me on it, I'm just going to go ballistic. And which is exactly what we're seeing with Adam Gase. And so I feel between the professional... Parallels here and then just like what's going on in someone's mind and someone's like psyche. Man, I talk to people all the time and say, hey, we can walk through any issue, whether it's in your marriage, your family, you're dealing with a specific sin issue, whatever it is, like we can talk about anything. Nothing's gonna freak me out, much Travis stuff, so nothing's gonna scare mm-hmm. me away, nothing's gonna make me take steps away from you. What is gonna make me take steps away is when you're lying and not truthful, because then it's I don't know what's true and what's not. And once we're in that murky. I don't really know if this person's being honest with me. Like it just takes triple the effort. And for most of those people, they're going to end up burning you at some point anyway. And it's a little bit tricky because you want to care for people in my profession, but you don't want to have people walk all over you. And so it's just this messy, hey, just be honest and we can deal with it. But the problem is some people, pathological liars and people who are dealing with insecurity or fear issues, perfectionism, a desire to like please people like they're not going to be able to own up to it because it's going to be such a crumbling moment for them.
2: Thank you both for, for sharing that. And that is exactly what I wanted to get to. And what I'm going to set up as a contrast here is not that this is the right person or the right situation or whatever, or that they're perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's a sliding door to situation here that we need to address, which is that let's, well, let's just look at what Matt rule said, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers who you'll remember walked away from the opportunity to coach for the Jets two years ago when Adam Gase and Cliff Kingsbury and, and Bionami and all those folks who were interviewing. Here's what he said after their kind of last minute loss to the Vikings, uh, according to the Charlotte Observer. Uh, that's except, so speaking to the loss and kind of losing in the last minute, that's in sec- unacceptable by us as a staff. We've got to put the ball in the end zone there at the end of the game. Rule said by Scott Fowler of Charlotte, or we've got to stop them, or we've got to make that last second field goal. So instead of pointing fingers, I'd better just point the thumb back at me. And that's not coach speak. I'm disappointed in myself and my staff tonight. And so I, I think Rex did this a little bit too much where he threw himself onto the, fun- on the funeral pyre of the team's loss, but, and it, and it certainly got tired and fans got tired of it but at least he was not blaming other people. He wasn't necessarily lying about situation. He was saying, hey, the buck stops here. And that's exactly what Matt Rule's doing. And so I just wanted to play that out. So that's how Rule treated the the end of the game in moments that could have been avoided in contrast. But then let's remember who Matt Rule was. So yes, he was this coach that was in there. The reports are that he effectively was offered the job was maybe tentatively accepting the job. That's unclear, but that Ruprecht, AKA Chris Johnson <laughs> told Matt rule that he would need to hire Greg Williams as his defensive coordinator. And so as a result rule backed out. And so he, and so they, he backed out because this was basically terms of the deal to which rule later replied. I'll try and pull up the, the tweet. I don't have it up right now but effectively he said listen like i'm not going to subcontract my staff like my staff is my staff and i'm going to be responsible for them i'm not going to be responsible for somebody else's choice here which that's a principled approach versus you know what we wound up having okay here i'm bringing it up so here's what matt rule said earlier this year to a radio show in dallas quote i don't want to say anything about that job speaking about the jets but at the end of the day i'm never going to be in an arranged marriage I'm never going to subcontract out jobs for offense and defense. I'm always going to hire the people I believe in, and are going to do the things our way. The Jets made staff suggestions to rule Burr source. He, he wasn't. He basically he was asked. He didn't get into the details beyond that but essentially like he backed away from it because as in his own words, rule put it, it was an arranged marriage. And so that's what a principled head coach does. And a principled head coach stands in front of the press and says, Hey, it's my fault. It's my staff's fault. We we made mistakes. And it wasn't just in one phase of the game. It was in all three phases of our game that we made mistakes. No one person gets the blame here. And then we've got this other guy who's spinning yarns about whether he's calling plays or not, and who's calling the plays and, whatever, and just can't even get away with these lies. He's lying so much so that he can't even, (laughs) there's no escaping, right? It's just, it's easier to tell the truth. All right. Have I exhausted this topic enough, Travis, anything else to say, or Josh, anything else to say, Travis, you first?
3: No, it's just getting to the point of insanity. And it's what Josh was saying. You don't know what's, what's true based off of what you actually see. And it's just, it's, Completely out of control, like the way he's not owning any of this, and I—I I really don't see him beyond the season, and. Uh- even through all that, I think it might be a brilliant chess move that he has been, been here the entire right. year because I don't think that another coach could uh, could take us to 0-16 the way that Adam Gase is.
2: <laughs> it's quite impressive. I think, and just the thing to say, what does it speak to Gase that he would be willing to put himself in an unprincipled situation? Just it's insane. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. All right, we want to talk about some of the good stuff, but before we talk about the good stuff, tra- Josh, can we qu- quickly talk about whether or not Sam Darnold is recoverable for this organization? Like, are we past this point now? Those interceptions were pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. wh- what are your thoughts? Have we here is we thing. broken? I mean, this, have we broken this person? This poor twenty-three-year-old
4: kid. <laughs> He is a broken man. Like I my heart goes out to him because he, he not only walked in to a literally an impossible situation with his coaching staff, with the way that the rosters were constructed, with bad signings, with now Adam Gase and Joe Douglas trying to do a tear down rebuild, like he's just unfortunately been some of the attrition in this war to get a, get a franchise back together. Man, I just don't think he's fixable here. I'm hopeful that he goes somewhere else. The the tricky part is figuring out what that value might actually even be. It's hard when you have the same weapons that Flacco had the last couple of weeks. Flacco seemingly, you know, putting points on the board, moving the ball, getting the getting the team in positions to win. Darnold has much of the same the same team around him. Who knows who's calling the plays? Maybe that's the secret here, but he's not been able to do much. And so it's hard to it's a small sample size, but with comparable in the same season, two different quarterbacks with the same weapons, he's getting far less production out of his team than Flacco was. And so I'm not selling my, my shares of, of, of Darnold Co. I am saying that I'm calling my financial manager and saying, Hey, can you just put out, give me a little sense here. What, how much longer should I take some hit on this stock before I should sell it and salvage my investments? I'm starting to get a little nervous boys. I don't think, I don't think he's got it. And if you've been listening to podcast, I've been the same defender at this point yeah. though. I just feel like he, for the change of the culture, he's also got to go start completely fresh, new quarterback, new coaching staff, new roster built from the ground up. And unfortunately we're probably going to watch him thrive elsewhere. Like he's going to go thrive mm-hmm. on a team Elsewhere, and it's going to be frustrating, and at the same time, totally defensible that they're going to have to yeah. get rid of him.
2: I-, I just bought him in a. I'm in a like dynasty, uh, dynasty football league. And because this is the absolute floor of his value, right? I don't, I, I think there's 10 teams he could go to that not knowing the Jets situation next year, just, but even assuming they bring in a new coach and yada, but there's 10 teams that would effectively just be better than whatever he dealt with this year. Yes, it's going to be a sad day, but at the same time, the Jets are on track to choose between one of two incredible choices at the top of the, the 2021 NFL draft. I do think it's fair to say that Alex Lewis, for whatever reason, didn't play. And that was the team was surprised and not sure what it was about. Gase called it a team decision handled internally, etc. cetera. But that certainly impacted some of what happened in the game. Travis, was it so detrimental? Alex Lewis's inability to play yesterday. Was it detrimental to the team or just more of the same?
3: Alex Lewis isn't amazing, but the step down in talent to our uh, backup lineman is pretty astounding, even with Lewis not being that great. It's who was the guy that we just re signed? Oh, uh, Pat Elflin. Pat Elflin's pretty crappy. But there was another guy that we just we just extended to next year. I can't remember who it was. No, not Van Rotten. Van Rotten's actually played pretty well. Yeah, he's played well. Senior. Fant has played well. The step to our backup offensive lineman is really bad. Adoga is complete dog shit.
2: But he has a tattoo of his last name on the back of his bicep. He does.
3: Oh, my God. Are you serious?
2: Oh, yeah. It says Adoga.
3: That, I, I have to put that on level with the, the visor and frosted tips. Like, I can never trust that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why do you do that so you don't have to say your last name to people? You just flex your bicep Wait, and you, the, hey, my name's the... Chuma, Machuma, and you flex and you point, and then someone's I don't get the whole tattooing your name on yourself.
2: <laughs> it's pretty, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Jimmy but, Murray? Yeah, this, okay, this, recent this, signings. I'm going back through what I see. Jimmy Murray? The, no, they signed him to the actor roster, so what am I looking for? They claimed Elflin off waivers. Yeah. I don't see it. I, don't I see feel like somebody line? just
3: got extended, and there's mm-hmm. a reason I can't remember his name because he's he's pretty crappy. Okay. Um, anyway, but either way, it's no worse than. It's actually still a better situation than the the line was last year with Fant, beckton and everybody. So I can't really say that he was playing with that much worse protection. So I don't. I really don't think that that's okay. the case. And. And Flacco, he's he's been playing with Adoga in the lineup and with Beckton injuries. So I can't give him that out. I can't give Darnold that out.
4: That's and that's the yeah. thing here. Like it's gonna totally no matter where he goes, if it's a fifth round pick, whatever the pick's gonna be, he's gonna go somewhere else. He's gonna end up in a game. Maybe he's a backup for a couple of seasons here, gets into a game, plays really well in another system, and, and the graphic's gonna come out that the Jets gave up on him. For a fifth round pick and at the same time it's that's the value right now let's make sure we don't become like so oh my gosh Sam Donald who you know is having now like a Nick Foles type playoff run with the Tampa Bay Bucks. four years from now let's not forget that in this moment he was not yet ready to be an NFL quarterback at a high level. He might yeah. be, I think he still has the tools, but man, how many guys have we seen have the tools that never panned out either? So it's just too confusing. It's just too much. Like you can see like the, Hey Sam, like you might want to just start checking out the rental terms of your New York city apartment because you might not be here four months from
2: now. You might want to break your lease, buddy. Just uh, yeah. don't try not to put any more holes in the wall or to, let's not stay in the carpet over the next, the next yeah, two take months. Take
4: down guys. the Sam Morgan fluorescent light. <laughs> get rid of the, the St. Oh, Paul girl. Just
2: take it Yeah, get it start getting packed in bubble wrap. So someone who does have the tools and seems to be succeeding is Denzel Mims, second oh, yeah. rounder for the Jets. Mm-hmm. We need to talk a little bit about him. In short, I, I was listening to some excellent podcasts. Peter Howard does a dynasty podcast called Dynasty Crossroads about Dynasty Football. And he was talking about some of the the receiving Rookies and who's underperforming and overperforming. And one of the he's he does a lot of analytics and projections work for for fantasy football. And one of the things he said when he looks at rookie wide receivers is he's just trying to get a sense of do they go over the threshold of effectively? Are they getting nine9% of the total targets? of the team in a year. He was trying to make it easy on himself. And so some players this year who would be exceeding their expectations would be players like T Higgins, Justin Jefferson with the with the Vikings, they're having just phenomenal years. And he was talking a little bit about Denzel Mims and I was curious. Obviously Mims was injured early in the season, but again, Howard's threshold is a rookie. He was talking mostly about Henry Ruggs and how Henry Ruggs is effectively doing what he thought he would be, which is being a low volume player and being unimpressive in that low volume. I was like, I wonder what, I know Mims has only been playing since week seven, but what would his target share look like in an offense? So meaning like over the games he's played, what percent of targets has he been gaining? So certainly doesn't apply for the whole year, but just in the games he's been playing, here's his target percentages starting in week seven. So week seven, he had 30.4% of the targets. In week eight, only 10% of the targets. In week nine, 32% of the entire team's targets. In week 11, 23%. And then just this week, past week, in, in week 12, 29%. So the point saying, all we're trying to do with rookies is get a sense of, are they on track or are they off track? for where we want them to be in years two, years three, years four. And so if 9% of a team's targets are the threshold, and effectively we're sm- making the sample size smaller so that it's we're only talking about the weeks in which Denzel Mims was active, he's still dominating the amount of targets that this team is seeing. Now, I get that he's only catching four of eight passes or three of seven passes or whatever, but I think there's a lot of other factors in play here. But I'm just curious, Travis, when you think about Mims, and then Josh, I'll definitely want to hear from you too, but Travis, when you from what you've seen from Mims so far, are you enthusiastic? How do you feel about his play? Let's talk about this year first, and then how you're projecting that towards next year.
3: I'm definitely encouraged. I feel like I thought his speed was a little coming out of college. I thought his speed was going to be a little more of a factor. One thing that I have seen is that he doesn't get the amount of separation that I really expected him to have as a possible number one receiver now and for the future. But on the flip side of that, his contested catch rate is just continuing through college he may not be getting the separation and that might be indicative in college of him not still not getting that separation as well but he's making a lot of these catches that are really freaking difficult in traffic with tight coverage and i that is more encouraging to me than anything because we've shown that we can find a speed guy over the past few years, whether it be an undrafted free agent like Robbie Anderson or a, a cast off like Brishad Perriman, who I've been increasingly last week, I talked about how I've started to not hate the signing. And after seeing him in the Miami game, I'm still on that level. I'm actually like starting to get impressed by this guy. I don't, I still don't know that I'm on the, we need to re-sign this guy level, but at the same time, it's pretty encouraging. And if Denzel Mims can be there, as that number two guy or that number one guy that's that's gonna fight for the ball and get it it's amazing that i I, it's just so encouraging seeing pieces fall into place this quickly after a draft and mems is is one of those pieces that i feel like is going to be here for a while
2: yeah what are your thoughts josh and what you've seen so far
4: yeah really similar i've been really just really pleasantly not even surprised but I just assumed rookie wide receiver NFL playbook in a weird COVID year injuries early on Okay, year one's just going to be a wash we're not going to we're not going to see much of him and we're not going to really get a sense of where he's at but man then he comes in and he's like Trav just said like he just he fights for every ball and so I'm really encouraged that he he's got it guys like when I watch him play, there's so much Des Bryant in him mm. that he's just going to be that super physical. Like, he's not an A.J. Green. He's not, he's not Julio. He's not nine feet tall, a little over six foot. Like, he's going to – he doesn't have that gazelle look to him of, holy cow, that, that dude could just run for weeks. But that dude's going to cross the middle, make a 14-yard catch, get, get smoked by a safety, and be up on his feet before the safety is. He's just tough and hard-nosed. And so, man, that kind of guy, again – given something from the tight end position, something that's going to break the seal over the top and a wide receiver or a running back. That's competent out of the backfield, running some routes like, man, we got a receiving core. And so I'm really encouraged that he's really turning it out. And to my first little point there, like the fact that he came back ready to go, like just shows you like, man, this guy gets it. Like he's probably working his butt off early in the season, just wanted to get on the field a little, maybe extra time learning the playbook. So that the moment he gets some opportunities he can he can go be who he is, which is just a really tough wide receiver. Man, guys, I'm excited for him. I really think he's going to be special.
2: Yeah, and just to say, it's I think what started me thinking a lot about Mim specifically watching the game yesterday was he had that play where he caught the ball and he ran across and turned up field. And I, for whatever reason, I can't believe it's taken me this long. And he's wearing number 11 and – And you just, you look at him and and you're just like, what, who, yeah, who is this guy? Who does he remind me of? And I'm trying to figure it out. And you guys are going to laugh and I'm sure our listeners are going to laugh, but you talked about Julio and I I actually think he's like a thin Julio Jones or like a taller Chris Godwin. Like that's kind of who he is.
3: But mm-hmm. Thulio, then like you can buy Ben and Julio into we're uh, calling it Thulio. Yeah,
2: we'll call him Thulio. I like that. I like that. Well, because they, look at this. So Denzel Mims is six foot three, two hundred and seven pounds. He ran a four three eight forty. So that's a pretty good for a guy at two hundred and seven pounds. That's good for ninety six percentile speed score. Speed score is basically looking at a ratio between weight and forty time. Right. So running a four three at two o seven. Is not equal to running a four three at 160 pounds. The guy who's 40 pounds more, he gets a better value, and that's kind of Bill Barnwell created what he calls what's called speed score now. So effectively, he's really fast for someone his size. But then you look at Julio Jones. Julio Jones is six three two twenty, oh. and he ran a four and he ran a four three nine. So effectively, I Julio he's was just much a, taller. No, I feel he's like, just like six seven.
4: Julio, Julio Jones
2: six, is just—he's thicker. He's—he's he's got Julio, more body. Julio, mass.
3: the thick. Yeah, I'm yes. six. I'm six four two twenty two, and I do not look like Julio Jones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just let that one hang out there. But, but yeah, I think, that, and then Chris Godwin is—he's six one two 209, and he ran a four four two. So his speed score is a little lower than both of those guys. But effect, so effectively, like just to explain. Denzel Mims has a lower body mass index than someone like Julio Jones at the same height. So he's a thinner version of Julio Jones, or the other way you could say it is he's a taller version of Chris Godwin. And I think that's where I know that those are two insane, unfair comps to make for this guy, but that's what he is or could be. So the point is you can use him on the outside as an alpha. And as you said, Josh and Travis, like He's a dog like he's going to go up and fight for every ball because he's got the size and enough body mass to do it. He might not do it like Des Bryant or or Julio Jones did in there in there like Uber Prime, but he's still pretty big for kind of what's the what the modern league is. And then, like, he's also faster and has a little bit more height than someone like Chris Godwin. So you can move him around, right? You can put him in – you can chess match with him. You put him in the slot, he would just dominate whoever he's playing as a slot receiver. So there's just so much that this player is going to be able to do. And so I'm so excited for whoever the next head coach is and, that, and their ability to use him. And then we didn't really even talk about, oh, and by the way, like, more than likely – it's going to be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields throwing that guy the football for the next five years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, baby. Right. Oh, baby. Like, just it gets so like, I, I I hate to just look past this season. And that's not typically what I like to do. I, I hate that I do that. But that's what we're left with at this point. So the, the crazy thing is, and then also, Mims has not had a touchdown yet. So the regression to the mean, which means in this case means he's going to start scoring more touchdowns. Like I should hope between now and the end of the season, he's been a great decoy and pulling coverage away from someone like Rashad Perriman or Jameson Crowder or others. But the the touchdowns haven't really been coming in, in packs either, right over the course of this season. So the point is he's good enough and he's getting enough targets that sooner or later, he's going to start hitting pay dirt. And I think at that point, it's like, it's just, it's wheels up for a guy like Denzel Mims. So I'm very excited. I am less excited, gentlemen, about the Raiders game coming up this weekend. Mm. What are our fears or apprehensions, Josh, with this Raiders game?
4: Yeah, my number one fear is they're coming off a loss that they really couldn't have afforded losing to Atlanta. I mean, they're fighting for a playoff spot. And so my fear, though, is that is also what I'm confident in, given the outcomes and the goals now of this season, which is secure the number one pick, get rid of Adam Gase, reset everything in the franchise. So the fear is that we smacked this team around last year. The Jets handedly beat them up. And so my hope here is that all that's going on with the Raiders this season, the hard thing, um, it's looking like Josh Jacobs is probably going to miss this game. I think he had an ankle injury that got... Maybe downgraded to maybe more of a, or I should say maybe upgraded. That sounds like the wrong word, but might be more serious than it originally was thought to be in the game yesterday. So if he's not playing, obviously that's a really great playmaker for the Raiders that's not playing on offense. The hope is that we lose this game. Like I, that's, it's just kind of where we're at as, as football fans with this team right now, but (laughs) Yeah, I'm fearful that they're going to come in without their best, their best offensive weapon, yeah. a team that we beat up last year. We accidentally beat them, and now maybe we're tied with Jacksonville for the number one pick instead of a game up. That is my fear, is that this might be another trip-up game for the Raiders. The Jets win a game that they probably will regret if they lose that number one pick. That is where my fears lie right now.
2: Yeah. So Travis, there's, they have the Raiders at home this weekend. Then they go, the Jets go on the road to Seattle, followed by another road game to the Rams, then home against the currently eight and three Browns with the season finale ending against the new England Patriots. So yeah, as you look at this week in this Raiders game, how can Adam Gase just dig deep and find a way to be more dysfunctional and incompetent than he's ever been before? <laughs>
3: I think he's going down the right path. Watching the way the defense actually played against the Dolphins, I think he's really going down the right path of just destroying this team and walking away Michael Bay style with a big, huge explosion behind him.
2: Please explain this thing that you added me on Twitter. I don't even know the, <laughs> the context of it's, basically so it's The Rock. The yeah. other guys. It's, it's okay. from a movie The I Other Never Guys. It. It's, it's hilarious. Rock. It's a great <laughs> movie.
3: Yeah it's a Will Ferrell Mark Wahlberg movie and in the beginning so the premise of the movie is it's a cop movie but not it's about the guys that are in the back scenes of lethal weapons okay. so it's not so Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock they play kind of the Riggs Murtaugh kind of guys that are the superstars of the police department and they're making all these high profile arrests and they're chasing after these uh, guys that robbed a bank and they chase them up to a, a rooftop And these guys were egotistical that they're like the bad guys. They zip line to another building and they cut the zip line and they're like, all right, you know what? We're on top of a 40 story building. There's some bushes down there. What do you say? We we just go ahead and jump off. We'll hit the bushes and then we'll hit the ground running and get them. And that, that that's what they do. They just jump and it's set to the the song. So uh, this is uh, like in the first five minutes
2: of the movie. I'm assuming like this yeah. is yeah like yeah okay yes,
3: in the beginning and it's, it's, it's just hilarious to me. And and whoever tweeted that I can't remember who it was, but said and the caption to the tweet was Darnold and pre pregame before the, the Dolphins game. <laughs> And they bump the, the they bump fists and then they just run and go and jump just splat onto the ground and it's it, it literally just defined the offense to me under Gase with Arnold uh, under center.
4: I was gonna say the, the the moment that makes that clip so good is it's Dave Grohl singing "There Goes My Hero" as they're jumping in slow motion and you're like, oh my gosh, they're gonna like they're gonna land in the bushes and then you're watching it. There's no realizing (laughs) they're gonna land and then splat right on the sidewalk.
3: (laughs) It's Um, so good. It's gold, gold, Jerry.
2: Whose voice was in was in Sam Darnold's ear to do that though? That's what I want to know. Ooh, good question. Samuel Jackson. All right, so aim for the bushes. All right, aim for the bushes, guys. You can do it, Sam. You can do it, Adam. Aim for the bushes. I can't wait to watch Adam Gase. I can't wait to watch Adam Gase on Fox Sports Network next year. That's going to be great.
3: Be See, great. I, I really hope that he ends up like Michael Keaton, uh, the the chief in that movie, because he keeps throwing out, like, bits and pieces of TLC songs when he gives speeches <laughs> <laughs> Like, about the movie. And, he keeps, and he keeps lying about knowing what they are. He's like, someone... Uh, he, he told the guys, he's like, all right, guys, let's do this. I don't want no scrubs. And they're like... that. <laughs> Are you quoting TLC? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> uh, all right.
2: Before we go, I Travis, I I have some Golden Girls history that I need help with. Can you Ooh. explain to me the trope, whatever, or continued use of cheesecake throughout? All seasons of, of the Golden Girls. Why is it that they seem to sit around eating cheesecake and talking about their, you know, romantic relationship
3: or just well, typically, issues typically, or worries? It was used as a, a tie together for the the clip shows. But the coolest thing about the Golden Girls clip shows was the clips were never from an actual existing episode. Like, you know, when you Oh watch, wow. When you watch that's chairs, amazing. You know, so they or, were doing post-
2: clips of things that didn't it was like uh, out extra oh. canon. It was like yeah, not exactly. already yeah. in the so, canon.
3: So like Aww. they would sit around and eat cheesecake and talk about how they met, and there was never an episode about how they all met and ended up living together. So there's like a clip of them going through the grocery store and end up meeting each other, and that's the 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 really cool thing about like their clip shows was that it's it's never you're never watching pieces of prior episodes. You're watching pieces of things that happened to get you here and so it's it, it I, I don't think i've ever really seen another show approach those clip shows that way and that's one of the things i've always found brilliant about it the cheesecake was always the tie together point for that they're all sitting around the table somebody had a bad night which sparked some kind of memory so somebody made a cheesecake and b arthur never ate a cheesecake because she hated it if you <laughs> notice in all the episodes she never touches it everybody else is actually eating the cheesecake as they go But yeah, it was the the tie together of somebody had a bad day. Let's all sit down and talk about it and eat cheesecake. And yeah, it just made for some really cool, almost like compilation shows.
2: That's, and you think about the fact that was like in the eighties, right? So like, I know community, the, the only other thing in my lexicon that was like that is community. They did a couple, at least one clip show where they did all stuff that you never saw or heard of. And right. They tie it all together. That's the only other show and that's totally something Dan Harmon and the Russo brothers would do like they would do something that's an homage to something that they grew up on as kids but right the fa- so the fact that, that happened 30 years ago or whatever and they were doing that in a time where that was very atypical is uh, is that's pretty impressive that's pretty impressive i didn't know that yep. did you know that about the golden girls josh connor of course not
4: of course not no average fan of the show has anything compared to the master brain that one Travis (laughs) Millen has when it comes to those four ladies.
3: Galaxy. I I swear to God, if I could make a career out of joking about football, talking about the Golden Girls and obscure 80s pop music, Mm. and specifically baby making R&B from that era, Um. I know it's a very specific, (laughs) weird job, but if there's one out there, I would excel highly at it.
2: All right, sponsors, Casper, Blue Apron, Whoever else betting online, bet online. Whoever's (laughs) out there, we are asking you, we're begging you. Let's make this a career for Travis Milton. Yeah, I want to talk. I want to talk about
3: football and uh, Keith Sweat and how Albie (laughs) Shore and Teddy Riley factored into the emergence of New Jack Swing in the early '90s.
2: Oh my! Original Rub Shaker. He's the original Rub Shaker, as I recall. Yes. Yes. All right, gentlemen, you shake my rumps every time I get a chance to talk to you. Thank you. (laughs) I would sit around at 1 a.m. and eat cheesecake with both of you anytime. Thank you. We will see you next week after the Raiders game. Thanks to our listeners. Be sure to rate and review the Play Like a Jet feed in your favorite podcast store. Thanks for listening. We will be back after the Raiders game. Hasta luego.
3: I'm going to go listen to some Key Sweat right now. (laughs)
2: I'm currently Googling
4: new Jack swing.
0: (laughs) Yes.